We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. No Matt Brooks today, but he'll be back on the next show. But, Jack, how are we doing? Nets win, Nets win, Nets win, Nets win. Ah. Yes. First Nets win, official win since March. Obviously, it feels good, especially after what happened to the Nets against Orlando. But they picked up the dub today against Washington, 118-110. Before we dive into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Bods. And this episode is presented by DealDash.com. But, Jack, let's get into it. Oh, I don't know why I couldn't wake up for this one, Nick. <laughs> but we'll get into it anyway. Um, we advocated for... Lance Thomas to be moved to the bench and Rodion Skouritz uh, to replace him. We also talked about Chioza starting uh, to Chioza to go to the bench and Tyler Johnson to start. Well, we saw one of those things, Nick. Um, tell us about the Tyler Johnson starting, Lance Thomas continuing with that starting four position. 
Yeah, just initial reaction from that. I mean, I was pretty happy to see Tyler Johnson get the start. He kind of compliments Levert a little bit better, has more of an NBA body, and it allowed Chioza to play off the bench and kind of get some of that playmaking role and going against lesser players. I think he was able to kind of succeed a little bit more. You mentioned Lance Thomas still still starting. He started the first quarter, started the third quarter, didn't play minutes after that. So maybe it's just Vaughn wanting have wanting a veteran presence out there to kind of set the tone. But right now, it seems like Thomas just isn't in NBA shape or his body just kind of can't handle the NBA at this point in his career. We mentioned before he's dealt with a couple of knee injuries and he's just not moving well on the court. Yeah, Lance Thomas only had 10 minutes of play, didn't hit a field goal, didn't hit a three, did have two rebounds and an assist and a turnover. So not necessarily the best day for him. Um, I wonder if these minutes are benefiting him in some way in terms of getting in game shape, but it'll lead me to a new question in a little bit. And Tyler Johnson, despite the start, didn't really have the most efficient of games. You know, Didn't hit a field goal, didn't hit a three, had a couple of free throws, did rebound the ball well and did have five assists. Also had five fouls as well. Did have a block, did have a steal. So he was doing some things. Do you think going forward, Nick, that Tyler Johnson starting is the right move to go? It allows Chris Chioza to sort of, you know, uh, uh, allow him to sort of make an impact in spurts against lesser players? Yeah, I agree. I think that it just kind of was Tyler Johnson not hitting his shots. And funny enough, Chris Chioza almost hit all of his shots today. So maybe it's just whoever's playing backup point guard is going to have the better game. But Vaughn also mentioned that they could have eight different starting lineups throughout this, you know, bubble and these seeding games. So I wouldn't be surprised if he changed it up. But it felt like Tyler Johnson just kind of had a nice feel for Levert and could kind of play off him. It was just the fact he missed a lot of open shots. It's not like he was taking shots that he couldn't hit. Okay, it's good, good. Obviously, when you, you look at the box score, it's like, oh, okay, well, Tyler Johnson, we know he's a better player than that. And for the record, Chris Chioza only missed two of those field goals, six of eight from the field, hit both threes, also had two rebounds, also had six assists, a steal. This is the sort of game that you want from him, Nick. Is it, I mean, it's, it's obviously a, a very short career for him, but was it his best game as a Brooklyn Net that you can remember? Uh, he had some good moments. There were still some plays in the game where, you know, he had four turnovers. He was trying to yeah. force things a little bit too much. But there was flashes in this game where it's like, okay, Chris Gioza can probably be an NBA player. If he does these things, you know, consistently at a high level, there was one play where Bongo was bringing the, uh, the ball up the court and he was kind of just grinding him down, ended up drawing the offensive foul, you know, easy points for the Nets. I mean, easy, uh, easy turnover. So then the Nets had the ball, another possession for the team, a couple nice, you know, dribble drives or whatever he was doing kind of got to the paint. Obviously, some of it was Washington just being a terrible defense and there wasn't yeah. anybody at the rim. So that kind of made it easier. But the fact he hit his jumpers is such, you know, a huge is going to have such a huge impact on his career moving forward. It, we talked about it on previous shows. He needs to hit that three ball if he wants to maintain a role in the NBA. Yeah, and if, he, if he's taken two and he's hitting two, then he's going to have some sort of a career in the NBA. Nick, I guess I sort of alluded to with Lance Thomas, who is, you know, an, an, a vet on the team. The other main vet on the team that we yet to see is Jamal Crawford. And the reasoning behind Jacques Vaughn, obviously, it seems to be conditioning a, a sort of issue. But if Lance Thomas is playing these minutes, do you think that Jamal Crawford should be too? And do you think that he would benefit from time? Because how are you going to get into game, some people are saying, I kind of agree with it to an extent. How are you going to get into game shape if you're not getting any game time reps? Yeah, I'm not really sure. This situation with Jamal Crawford, I don't want to say sounds fishy, but there's something probably maybe they're not telling us. Maybe there's like a minor injury they don't want to talk about or they just want to ease him in really, really slowly because he is so old. 
but it seems like you would have tried to get him minutes against, you know, Orlando in that blowout or maybe in that last scrimmage or just trying to trinkle in, you know, a couple minutes here and there, but not playing him at all and then probably putting him out there for 15 minutes is going to feel weird. So who knows when we'll see Jamal Crawford, like you mentioned with the Lance Thomas thing, it's not like Lance Thomas looks super fresh out there. So you couldn't, couldn't imagine Jamal Crawford, you know, being much worse than him. Yeah, I mean, at the... The only sort of reasoning I can see behind it is that the Nets lack any sort of wing power forward slash center depth, yeah. whereas they're quite stacked at that guard position. So it sort of allows them to not go 10 man deep in the rotation, as we sort of saw today where we, where we had that nine man rotation with Kuritz, Chioza, Temple and TLC coming off the bench. But Nick, talking more about the game overall, uh, it seemed to be quite back and forth looking at uh, looking at the stat lines, looking at the, the scores. Um, who do you think, where was the sort of turning point where the Nets really gained the ascendancy? Yeah, I mean, to talk about the game, it started off terrible for the Nets. I think the Wizards had like an 11-2 to lead, and the Nets just almost looked disinterested. Then they went on a nice run, got the lead back. It was pretty much back and forth. You know, a lot of bad defense from the Nets throughout this game. And then at, you know, the fourth quarter, I think around like 96-93 or 92-96, Joe Harris hit a big three. Lavert started to pick it up. And down the stretch, you know, you saw Karis Lavert kind of become that go-to score and be like, hey, I'm the best player on the court. I'm going to go get these ISO buckets, and we're going to win this game. And it was the same thing with Joe Harris and Jared Allen just seeing the guys step up and realizing like hey this is essentially a playoff game for us because if we win here we're pretty much guaranteeing ourselves a spot in the playoffs uh, I was I was literally going to ask you I guess in relation to that question Nick do you think the Nets are guaranteed a playoff spot now and I guess are you happy with that because uh, a lot of people have been warming to the idea of you know tank not tanking but just dropping out of the playoff race to get that first round pick added into some sort of trade package sort of deal you know the benefit of you know we've spoken about it but I guess opinions can change which is why I bring up the topic again and so I guess the, the first question do you think the Nets are almost guaranteed that playoff spot and do you think that the Wizards could, you know, maybe force a playing game if they win some more games at all? Well, they haven't won a game yet. But, and secondly, are you happy with that? Or would you prefer the Nets to have lost today's game and gone the tanking route to get a, some sort of a first round pick? Yeah, I think as soon as Bradley Beal, you know, opted out or had the shoulder surgery or whatever it was, you know, that was pretty much guaranteeing the Nets were going to get the playoff spot because I'd have a hard time seeing Washington even win a game here. Nets already won a game here, and there's a chance that they could win another one where looking at the Wizards' schedule and just the players we saw on the court tonight, it's going to be really hard for them to get a W. So I feel pretty confident that Nets are going to maintain this spot, and I don't think they'll even have to deal with a playing game. In terms of being happy or sad about it, I feel like going into the bubble given the players that we had I didn't really care what the outcome was but I always felt like they were probably going to end up getting the playoff spot given the Wizards even with Bradley Beal not being that great a team and it's been brought up that if the Nets did you know keep this pick then obviously they'd be trading away 2021 which could be a pick that they'd want maybe a little bit more if they're trying to make a move at the deadline so I mean there's other factors I don't really care either way in terms of what happened I think it would have looked really bad though if the Nets had you know probably the three best players in this game and they still lost to the Wizards. Like, I, there'd be a hard way to kind of turn it where, like, yeah, they're they're playing guys that are G-leaguers, but they still had Carol LeVert, Jared Allen, and Joe Harris. And if they lost to the Wizards, who have Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryan, Ish Smith, you know, you, you wouldn't feel good about that. I think even from, like, an organizational standpoint, obviously they could have sat LeVert or something like that and tried to go full-on tank. But I think it's probably better for Vaughn to be in, like, a somewhat competitive, you know, environment. Come on, Nick, put some respect on Troy Brown Jr.'s name. <laughs> yeah, he um, actually played. I was actually impressed with him today. 
I, I mean, I've I've seen bits of him and and my co-host of, of just ball things. Nick Busick is is a fan of his as well. So definitely keeping an eye on him. The Wizards do have some some nice young guys on the up and up. Not nice young guys on the up and up. I believe this does now leave the Nets with a seven-game buffer between the Washington Wizards. <laughs> Obviously, there is a a four-game. Uh, difference between the eight seed and the ninth seed forces uh, a playing game in the east or west. It's definitely going to happen in the west in some form or another, but it's looking less and less likely by the day, by the game, for it to happen uh, for the Brooklyn Nets and all the Wizards. So, I mean, I'll give my thoughts, I guess, Nick. I, I'm similar. I'm, I'm a bit indifferent. I've spoken about before about winning habits. Don't know, know how many winning habits you are going to get out of this Orlando bubble experience. And... You know, Matt Brooks spoke on the last episode about, you know, Carol Savert, the benefit that he's actually going to get from this experience. Obviously, he's going to be that guy and it sort of showcases him to an extent uh, in if he's going to be, you know, in a trade package and sort of like, oh, OK, I'm the Chicago Bulls, I'm the Washington Wizards. He looks good. I'll, I'll, I'll put him in a package. I'll, I'll, I'd want him in a package. But how is he going? Is he going to get any benefit going forward if he's going to be that third guy next to KD and Kyrie? I'm not 100 percent sure. So there's. Things that I think that are beneficial for, for certain guys, like I'm, I'm really happy to see Jared Allen doing his thing. I'm always happy to see Joe Harris doing his thing. And obviously, you know, opportunities for guys like Rodion Kuritz and the like. So you have to look at it from, from both sides. And, you know, you look at Jamal Crawford, obviously off the court, it seems to me, but well, I think most of us who, who are listening to this episode uh, saw the Brooklyn Bridge episode and seeing, uh, seeing the benefit that he's providing off the court. You know, obviously, I think that, even if he's not playing, I'm already seeing the value that he's providing. He's giving exposure to the team, I think, is really cool too. You know, when you've got these uh, well-loved guys, like we spoke about when the signing did happen, not to go on a, a rant slash tangent and, and change the topic, but I think the benefit he's providing to the team is he's giving him a little bit of exposure. You know, obviously, the Nets are now like the ringer NBA's favorite team. <laughs> and I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't have like, you know, gone for Michael Beasley, Tyler Johnson, Jamal Crawford, these sort of guys, and Sean Marks sort of made those sort of moves. And obviously, Tyler Jen Johnson is making an on-court impact, even if he didn't have the biggest impact today. His presence certainly did. Jamal Crawford, I guess I'll put to you, Nick, before we get to, to more of the players and break down them. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds and prop bets to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and Robert Horry. See what they had to say what it'll be like playing without fans. In a series, they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 options every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use offer code BACKBOARD or DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. That's DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. Do you think we see him against the Milwaukee Bucks? 
Yeah, I would think so. If not, then it okay. kind of gets to a point where why did you bring him here? No disrespect to Jamal Crawford or anything. Obviously, he's having the off the court the impact, but you need bodies and you need like competent NBA guys. And I think part of the reason you signed him was so he at least could kind of have some competitive basketball in you know Orlando. And if he doesn't play, then it just kind of comes a waste. You mentioned some of the other positive impacts, but still, I think the main reason was to give the Nets almost a steadying force where they could at least be you know presentable on the court. Yeah, and I mean, I I sort of hear what you're saying, but I also think that we tr- we signed Michael Beasley, who had to miss like five games anyway if he was True. going to play, and he was uh, obviously. We hope he is, is his health is is going well after contracting the coronavirus, as for everyone else and um, to all the conspiracy theorists. Yeah, that's really good to use him. <laughs> yeah, we really could have used him as a wing. You know, he could have started the four maybe. Yeah. Um, we know that he's he's a he's a decent wing, so hopefully we wish him well and all the Nets and all the other people around the world who are struggling with the virus in some form or another. But we get back to the game, Nick, and uh, again before we get to the players, I wanted to touch on just overall game things. Thirty-seven free throws. Yeah, I mean it's also the Wizards, and they're just a young team that doesn't really know how to defend without fouling. Some of it was the Nets being aggressive and realizing, like, hey, we got in the bonus. I think it was, like, the second quarter. Nets got in the bonus around the nine-minute mark. Fourth quarter in the bonus as well. They just really had a hard time defending without fouling. And it wasn't even, like, all on drives. It was kind of on some screens. It was some off-ball stuff. Just think that's more of a culprit of the Wizards than anything that really the Nets did. Okay. In in saying that, Jared Allen, 10 of 10. Karis Levert, 10 of 13. Garrett Temple, 5 of 5. If those guys had missed the free throws like we probably talked about on, I don't know how many Brooklyn buzzers we talk about the Nets free throw was, um, it would have been a different result possibly, Nick. Yeah, it was. It was big. They hit their free throws, especially late in the game. And when they kept going to the line, taking advantage of that, I think in the fourth quarter, it felt like they probably didn't even miss a free throw, which was pretty big for the team, like you mentioned, Jack, because these are these are guys that have struggled in the past or have missed big free throws for this team. Definitely, definitely. I mean, who needs Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, <laughs> and Stephen Curry when you got Joe Harris, Jared Allen, and Karis Avert, Nick? Who do you want to start with there? Let's start with your boy Joe, who I thought maybe yeah. had, you know, one of the best games of his career. Obviously, like I mentioned, they are going against the Wizards, but he just seemed very under control, and it wasn't just the shooting. He did bank in a three, which is kind of funny for Joe Harris. Um, and then just like, you know, playing solid defense, you can make an argument that maybe Joe's a guy that shows the most effort on the Nets defensively after like a TLC. And there is one play that really stuck out where Joe caught the ball on the three-point line. Somebody came up and tried to contest, hit him with a pump, pump fake, drove inside, hit Thomas Brown with a fake then got to the rim got the lay-in in the end one and it was it's just a really good play and it kind of just builds on the point of joe harris is not just a shooter he's a guy that can do other things in the court especially in that complementary role when he's kind of like the second action of the play yeah season high 27 points 10 of 13 from the field uh, season uh, matched the season high six made three pointer six of seven from there seven rebounds I'll, look uh, you know me Nick I'm a I'm a I'm a rebounder by heart I've spoken about on this pod and other pods that it's my best skill and when I see my boy doing it as well uh, he had five uh, defensive rebounds two offensive ones had a dime as well had a block two plus 14 most valuable Nets player out there looking forward to doing a, an in-depth breakdown for Nets Republic on him Joe Harris continuing to do awesome things. And I saw the gift that uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets Twitter page posted. And waking up to that, uh, it certainly <laughs> made me feel certain things that I, I like feeling in the morning. Let's put it that okay, way. Won't go, exactly. won't, won't, won't go any further to that. But to create a, a similar feeling for you, Nick, talk about Carol Subert. 
Yeah, Karras, I actually thought, didn't have the best first half in this game. He was struggling missing shots that we normally see him make. And in the second half, he was a little bit more aggressive in attacking the paint and getting to the free throw line, realizing that Washington didn't have necessarily the bodies that could defend him because the guards that were quick enough didn't have the height and the guards that were a little bit bigger didn't have the experience. So he was able to kind of isolate a little bit in this game. We saw him work out of the post in the first half, which I thought was a nice adjustment from Jock Vaughn. A little bit tougher to double team somebody in the post. And when you do, the passes just become that much more opener. It's a little bit easier for a younger player to see. And the Nets were also running nice actions when Levert was in the post. So, hey, while Levert's down there, we're going to actually be running Joe Harris on some off-ball screens. So now you have to double focus. And then he was able to get to his, his spots on the floor and hit those shots. And for Karras, he had like, I don't want to say like a star moment, but that that first option moment in the fourth quarter where he just kind of took over. And I think there was a span where the last 12 points for the Nets were between Joe Harris and Karras LeVert. You know, two of your best guys just taking on the scoring load and saying, hey, we're not going to lose this game. And I was really happy to see Karras take 13 free throws. Like I mentioned, some yeah. of being Washington, but realizing the opportunity there. And there was one spot where he kind of fell. I want to say it was Jerome Robinson overplaying him at the three-point line, ended up hitting a step back. Well, he pulled up for the step back leaned in the contact, got those three free throws, which is a pretty big spot in the game. Yeah, I mean, that's James Harden-esque. And, you know, Karis Avert, you know, when, this is how we need him to play. Obviously, against the Washington Wizards, it's a lot easier. We saw the struggles he had against the Orlando Magic. Did we see any of the blitzing um, that we saw against Orlando, Nick? Not as much, but I think, you know, Washington wasn't as strong in terms of the blitzing, but they were definitely having that other man wait for him in the paint coming off those screens. And Jared Allen mentioned it in the post-game press conference that Lavert was kind of pushing him off and telling him, like, hey, just let me isolate because it's a little easier for him to get to his space. So I think okay. that makes sense when, you know, the other team is just kind of collapse on you when you get there. He was picking his spots, and it felt like in the second half he definitely had a better feel for what the defense was trying to do to him. Yep, yep. Um, and for for the record, 34 points, 11 of 25 from the field, 2 of 6 of 3, 10 of 13 in free throws, 7 rebounds, including 3 offensive ones, had 3 assists as well, and only 1 turnover. So despite having the ball in his hands uh, a, a large amount, Karis Avert, uh, an efficient night for him and, and one of his best games, and this is what we're going to need out of Cornrow superstar Karis, a, a great game for him. But you alluded the to... The 1 turnover to you mentioned though, Jack, I think that's yeah. something that really sticks out is because like, you're getting so much attention. You're, the ball is in your hand so much. You're doing a really good job if you only have one turnover, especially considering half the guys in this team you haven't played actual NBA minutes with. It's only been practice. Yeah, exactly. You know, turnovers have been an issue for the Brooklyn Nets on, on many occasions. Only had 11 for the night. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Chris Chioza had four of those. But we will get to Jared Allen. The fro uh, had himself a game. I think it was one of the only, one of two games of the season or, or one of only, the only games of the season that we've seen or, or in their careers where both Jared Allen and Carlos had 20 points plus. How was his performance, Nick? Uh, it seemed to me that despite Thomas Bryant balling out, Jared Allen was still making an impact himself. Yeah, and I think uh, I'll just touch on this point first because it's been a big talking point on Nets Twitter. Yep. Jared Allen hasn't really, it wasn't really Jared Allen's fault that Thomas Bryant had a big game. Just the way that the Nets schemed this, Jock Vaughn mentioned in the, the post-game presser that they wanted Allen to stay in front of the rim. He needed to give him that paint protection, especially because they're so undersized all over the court. So it was really on the guards, not really covering for Jared Allen. And that's why Thomas Bryant had so many open jumpers. There were a couple plays where Bryant got the best of Jared Allen, but I felt like Jared Allen actually had a pretty good game defensively in terms of his rotations and helping his teammates because we know that the Nets don't have the best perimeter defenders. And offensively, it seemed like he got a little aggravated at points and he was kind of starting to attack and be a little bit more aggressive. There was one play where he put his shoulder down, 
bumped into Thomas Bryant and then tried to bang on him. He didn't get the full clean dunk, but he ended up rolling in and he got the end one. So, and the 15 boards really stick out too. He just seemed like yeah. a guy that was attacking the paint and, you know, getting some of those tip out ones as well, just being a presence and being the player that we expect him to be. Yeah, I think we spoke about in the last episode about his rebounding, you know, and I think Matt made a good point of it. If you see Jared Allen rebounding the ball well, you know it's going to be a good game for him and the points will take care of itself. So 22 points, 15 rebounds, including five offensive ones, six to 10 from the field, 10 free throws, had a steal, had a block, had a couple of dimes too. Uh, awesome performance from Jared Allen. Nick, I guess in, in general, um, were you surprised that Jared Allen was hitting all those free throws because it was... I know that this isn't necessarily the most important point, but I wanted to touch on it because when we did a, a mini-season review for him in, in the sort of off-season uh, before the Orlando bubble, we spoke about his free-throw shooting. I made a point of it sort of being one of his strengths in, in the really early points of his career. And now, obviously, to, hit, to see him hit 10 of them again after a down season by his own standards, um, it, it's certainly positive to see. Yeah, I think it could be a situation, too, where maybe he's benefiting from no fans in the okay. in the less pressure or something like that. Because we've talked about it. It's not like Jared Allen has some ugly free throw you know, shot right. or anything like that. It looks pretty smooth. So I think it might be like less pressure. Or maybe it's just the fact that Jared Allen has just looked more confident and stable throughout this you know, Orlando bubble. He's just looking, I don't want to say like a veteran, but he's realizing that he's one of the better players in the team. And he knows what he's doing. And he could probably help some of the younger guys. Yeah, definitely. It seems to me that he, he's really stepping up in, in ways more than one. Hopefully he can continue to maintain this form. I'll throw this at you now before, obviously, we're going to be recapping the Milwaukee Bucks game. Do you want to see Jared Allen guard Giannis Antetokounmpo? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that would be something he could take away. You know, let's yeah. say, you know, Jared Allen, I don't want to say anybody, nobody's going to lock up Giannis, but if he at least slows him down or makes his life a little bit more difficult... It, it provides value, and maybe it's like, hey, maybe we do need to keep Jared on this team going to next season if he has some really good series or something like that. So I'd like to see it. And he I probably – nobody else in the Nets is going to do a good job. Yeah, I certainly would too. But we've seen centers have a, a big impact on, on Giannis before. Bam out of bio, Al Horford, these sort of guys seem to guard him well because – not many guy, not many people can match the physicality of, of Giannis under the combo. So, I mean, if you, the, we're not going to beat them. There's no chance about that. But if we can get takeaways from it, it's things like that that I think is going to be the number one thing that I'll be looking for, Nick. But we'll get to the backups. Uh, Rudion's caught at 17 minutes, uh, only had two points, didn't hit a field goal, did hit a couple of free throws, did have four assists, and did have three rebounds. Uh, what did you think of his performance? Uh, do you think that he's deserving to start? I saw, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, where it's just like, why didn't we see Dante Hall so we could see more Rudion's courts? I know that's what we advocated for uh, in the previous episode with Matt too. Uh, tell me a bit about Rudion, I guess the rotation, I guess with the 4-5, so to speak. Yeah, he was definitely playing more backup five this game. He had a couple nice passes too, like you mentioned, Jack. Under control drives, which is something we don't typically see from him, able to drop it off to Jared Allen. But the problem is he kind of goes in with the mindset of what he's going to do instead of just reading and react because he tried to do the same thing later in the game, but he easily could have just either had a layup or a floater, but instead he tried to force the pass and the defense was kind of expecting it. So another thing that for Rodion's that was kind of annoying this game and it was typically a problem for him all season was he was hesitating on his three-point shot and they right. really just need him to, you know, pull it up. Like, hey, you're probably still, you're probably one of the better three-point shooters on this Nets bubble team. So just, you know, let it go. You know, you got the green light and that's a shot we need you to hit there was a couple of plays where it seemed like he got some ticky tacky fouls that he just needs to do a better job of and i saw vaughn talking to him on the sideline so there's probably some mistakes that we'd notice if we watch the game a second time so i think 
for Rodions, and this has probably been a reason why he hasn't played in the past, is just learning the playbook, learning the scheme, and some of those basketball IQ things he just needs to get better at. Yeah, it's obviously he's in his second season, his sophomore season, so there's going to be, it's not a linear path to progression for these young guys. You know, it's it's going to be up and down, a little bit of a roller coaster for him, but hopefully he takes from this experience and, and improves, and hopefully we see a bit of time from him um, on, on Giannis. I think he could benefit from that as well. He's going to get body like no other, but then so is Jared Allen. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you combine the muscle mass of both of those two guys, you still probably got only half the muscle mass of Giannis and <laughs> Kumpo in one of his shoulders. That man is a goddamn great guard. Anyway, uh, to the other rotation guys, Nick, Garrett Temple and TLC. Uh, we didn't see the the standout performance that we saw from TLC. Uh, I did a video breakdown of his game uh, for NetRepublic.com, so go check that one out. But were there, what did you see from these two guys in terms of the value that they provided? Yeah, I mean, Temple's still that vet, but obviously his impact is a lot less when he's not hitting his shots. There was a couple times in this game where it felt like he was maybe trying to do too much. And we've talked about it where, like, guys are going to probably have to do that, but there's other times where if Karis averts on the floor or Joe Harris or somebody else, like, I'd rather have them taking that shot at the end of the shot clock instead of Garrett Temple trying to create something with eight seconds to go. He just doesn't really have that in his game. So I think that kind of hurts at different points. And one thing about Temple that, like, sometimes he'll do something that's just, like, you know, you're a veteran, you need to know better not to, you know, reach in that situation or give away that foul. Like you, you, you're been in the league for like, what is it? 12 years. Like you need to understand that. And TLC, like not the best shooting game, but I will give him props because he was obviously playing a lot of four in this one. And he had a battle down low with Rui Hachimura, who's not the biggest guy, but still a lot bigger than TLC. And I thought he did a solid job trying to maintain post position and just bring some of those, you know, hustle plays. There you go. There you go. Good to hear. Um, I guess I sort of brought up a, a few things, Nick, about the the upcoming game against the the Milwaukee Bucks. Is there anything else you want to see? Any changes? I <laughs> I will say in terms of coaching, can't remember who it was that brought it up on Twitter, but they were saying that Jacques Vaughn's demeanor seemed to be a little bit lackadaisical when the camera was on him, so to speak. We're obviously, you know, we have a history of of looking at Kenny Atkinson, who's one of the more vocal guys, and holding up signs and having Spencer Dinwiddie hold him back. What do you think of the overall demeanor? I mean, we're being armchair psychologists uh, to an extent, but how have you sort of seen the, the coaching performance and the coaching demeanor and the presentation of Jacques Vaughn so far? Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. Maybe a couple times he was like thinking on the bench and they caught him at the right moment, but I've seen him get pretty aggravated with the referees on multiple occasions, especially more so in that Orlando game. So, I mean, it's also like tough to take away. What's Jacques Vaughn going to flip out on his team for not playing great? Like this, like we've yeah. talked about a million times, like they're out talented. They haven't been together for a long time. Even the Wizards have more practice minutes than the Nets have with this current group. So like you can only do so much and you can only get so angry as a coach, especially with so many guys being on proven NBA players. Yeah, that's it at the end of the day. But um, alluding to that first question before I, I went on my mini rant and tangent, is there anything other than, you know, some Jared Allen and Rodion's Courts minutes and, and a learning experience for them on the eventual likely MVP Giannis? What do you want to see either change or continue? Or what, what do you want to see against uh, the the East leading Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I mean, usually I would try to give you some type of serious answer or like something that really mattered, but it like the Bucks are just substantially a better team than the Nets. Like the Bucks could probably sit Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo and they'd still beat the Nets. So it's just, yeah. 
it's just like there's just not really much. Maybe you're hoping Karis Avert can have some good moments. You know, Joe Harris can hit some shots. You mentioned, you know, Jared Allen playing some defense. But other than that, you know, you just want the team to come out and compete, and maybe they can get lucky and get super hot from three just to keep the game competitive. Otherwise, it's just going to be so tough with the Bucks' size. Like, the Bucks are yeah. a team that's pretty big, too, and, like, they're going to play multiple forwards, and that's play one center and, like, no forwards other than Rodeo. Yeah. Um, we struggled against that with the Orlando Magic. They, they're a side that uh, has some good physicality and defensive prowess. We know the Bucks love to give up that mid-range shot, so maybe we, we might see Karras sort of hit that a little bit and, and get a little bit hot. They also do like to give up certain threes, you know, corner threes and, and certain spots on the floor. So maybe we see Joe Harris get a little bit hot there. Uh, I said this in relation to, obviously, whoever the Bucks versus, whether it's us or the Wizards um, in the first round. Bucks in three, you know, change it to a three, change it to a five game series, get it over with. You know, we don't need to be there for that, but it'll be interesting to see, Nick. Obviously, we'll be recapping that one. Matt will be back. I'm excited to watch some more Nets basketball. I'm excited to, to recap and watch this one, get into some of the game feel for Joe Harris and others. It was, it's always nice to wake up to a win. Yeah, I mean, it was still good to see the Nets win, and obviously it's the first win we saw in months. It might be the only win we see for the next month because, yeah. you know, it's still a tough schedule. And like you mentioned with the Bucks and probably the playoff matchup, it's going to be hard for them to, to steal a game, let alone keep the games competitive just with the talent difference and the size difference and just everything going on with this Nets roster. But, you know, there's still some positive takeaways from this and the growth of the players when you're kind of seeing them just kind of take that next step. And maybe it doesn't necessarily result in them having a positive impact on the next next year's team, but it could be a positive result for their career or positive in a trade. Yeah, it's certainly going to inflate their confidence and their talent. You know, obviously a guy like Jared Allen, who's been almost, it seems to me, thrown away by Nets fans in, in a lot of ways and, and, and Nets Twitter. Joe Harris, obviously, uh, if he continues to play like this, we're going to have to give him the goddamn max and have four max players on our roster, probably. You know, it, it's always nice to see Harris, but we know that the talent that, that he possesses. But Nick, uh, always nice to recap, especially these games when they're winning. And it'll be good to get Matt back on in the next one. Yes, as always, a pleasure, Jack. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NutsBlog.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.